Slam City, Dunk360.com, a match made in heaven. And I don't know why you're looking at me funny, Raymond. I'm just looking at you as a way of wow. <laughs> That's what <laughs> that I'm saying. That was impressive. Yeah, I guess. And but very impressive indeed. <laughs> Should you give yourself a clap on the back? Please don't. I'm, I'm not gonna do that. But yeah, we finally made it the debut episode of Slam City Sports and Entertainment Podcast right here on Dunk360.com from our beautiful Bryant Park Studios in the heart of New York City. I'm Unqua Sonia. He's Raymond Mora. Yep. You'd see if I could gesture to him. Our producer, Jeremy Epstein, on the ones and twos. He's always got something smart to say. That's a double-edged sword, but still. We got a fantastic show lined up for you today. We have two very special guests. Shabazz Muhammad, NBA player for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and also legendary Hall of Famer Dominique Wilkins will be joining us later in the show. We've got a great debut lined up for you today. We cover pretty much every sport on the face of this earth, or at least we try to. But last night was a whole lot of... I'm not quite sure how to say this. It was weird. Explain. Well, I'll explain. First of all, the reigning Heisman winner, running back Derrick Henry, totally fell out of the first round. Now, some people projected that it was going to happen because they saw a lot of Trent Richardson in him or whatever. But the most interesting thing involved an offensive lineman by the name of one Laramie Tunsil. Now, who's Laramie Tunsil, you may ask? Laramie Tunsil is an offensive tackle out of the University of Mississippi, also known as Ole Miss. And (laughs) he decided... For some odd reason, for the record, his agent says he was hacked. Raise your hand if you believe it. No. Yeah, no um, no, no hands are up I'm right good. now. There was a video of him. How would you guys put it? Because I, I really don't know how to put it. It was very disturbing in terms of, you know, him trying to hide the whole fact of what happened on, on pretty much everybody on the TV looking at don't, the don't, picture. Don't speak but legalese. What was he doing? He was, you know, I don't want to. Describe it, but Jeremy, wait, can you wait, cut to the meat, please? Engaging in some interesting activities. <laughs> You're all speaking legalese. All we'll say is he was. He had a gas mask on, and and smoking yeah, some sort of much. substance. Yeah. Thank you. That's pretty much what he had. And furthermore, to deflect from that, in his post conference, <laughs> he decided to say, "Oh yeah, I got money from my coaches." Slippery slope. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, nobody could have seen that coming. Yeah, but you got to look at it from the whole draft expect. I mean, the whole draft last night. I mean, they were waiting for if he's going to get picked or not. And then he finally got picked by the Dolphins. And then after the what he got picked by the Dolphins, they said he said that he got paid apparently for something. And it just and then Goodell this morning just made it worse. He was projected it. to fall if you've been following the mock drafts. He was looked at as a top pick, and then slowly but surely he was falling down the boards. And obviously, the incidents yesterday did not help. Especially they all occurred right before the draft was set to begin. Yeah, and I think the funniest thing about that is Goodell's comments today that said stories of Laramie Tunsil are what make the draft so dramatic. So. The judge, jury, and the executioner of the NFL decided to say that two suspensionable offenses made for a dramatic draft. (laughs) 
That's why it's on in prime time. Yeah. Oh, brother. And they didn't they go like a whole hour commercial free ESPN or something like that? Well, the first hour, and then they started getting commercials after that. That's pretty much it. I've never seen that sort of thing before. Oh, it's a draft. What do you expect? People are excited about the draft, although those that are really into their teams and who they want to pick for the future, yeah. It is what it is. <clears throat> Out of that first round, I, I don't know why, but a lot of people weren't high on Carson Wentz out of North Dakota State. I loved it. I really, really did because FCS quarterbacks never really get their respect because they, quote, are seen to play smaller competition. Let's be fair. Did North Dakota State face a schedule full of Alabamas and other SEC teams or even a North Carolina ACC champion? Or almost champion, that is. No, they didn't. And when they lined up to play against FBS schools, North Dakota State, everyone else was like, I'm good. I'm good. How many great quarterbacks come out of the SEC anyway? It's tough to judge based off that aspect of facing really good defenses. Like, Realistically, do you see most of the guys coming out of the – SEC quarterback-wise, not really. Exactly. And fun fact, the last few FCS quarterbacks drafted in the first round, Joe Flacco won the Super Bowl, Steve McNair, Hall of Famer. Yeah. Ken O'Brien, who, according to Chris Berman, quote, better than we remember. And who was the first name on that list again? Oh, yeah, that's right. Super Bowl MVP Phil Simms. And they left out Doug Williams. So... The FCS quarterbacks can can really do their thing. But I never understood why Carson Wentz was so, I would say, disrespected. Well, you play in pretty much a league where it's not as tough as the SEC. So when you look at that, the scouts say, is he ready to play in, in, when he comes out of the draft play for the Eagles? They say he should shut out for a year. But when, we see, t- but when we talk about, you know, toughness in a schedule, isn't that kind of relative to the to the level that you play? It is, but remember, a lot of people look at the SEC more than any other conference because that's that's more to the NFL in terms of the pace and then the, the play in game. That's why, like him and Jared Goff, these guys are not rated as high, and yet they're drafted one and two. You also don't see them play as often. Like you see so many guys from the SEC and it's like the Big Ten, like a Cardale Jones and players like that. You see them play all the time, so they're overanalyzed and scrutinized. Some of the people, and to the contrary, if you don't see them play enough, they're underanalyzed. You don't have enough game film on them, so naturally. The skeptic and the evaluator will come out and say, "Well, he's not good enough to play." So, so let's let's look back at the first round as a whole. Are there any huge miscues? I didn't really see many. And that's- and as and being fully disclosure, I am a Jets fan. They managed not to screw up their first round pick for the second year in a row. Good for Mike McCagney. They, ha- they haven't, but it's always been the tradition of the Jets for the f- in the first round that they draft a defensive player. But this is the second time outside of the Rex Ryan era that they've done that, though. You got to yeah. feel bad for Miles Jack. Miles Jack and Jalen Smith from Notre Dame. Miles Jack's a top 10 talent, one of the most athletic players in the draft. And because he has a little problem with his knee, you know, he's fallen off a lot of draft boards. And Jalen Smith, in a bowl game that. People would argue, did Notre Dame really need to play? That's the thing, you know. We funny, we talked about Laramie Tunsil from the from the beginning, but these are players that are playing for scholarships, not meaning to demean, you know, how important a full ride is. But they take their school to a prime time game 
on a nationally broadcasted platform. And your answer to them is, oh, well, that's what you signed up for. In terms of getting the, the, compensation? The, yeah. So so what do you tell Jalen Smith? He didn't have to play in that game. Exactly. And coaches always demand that you go hard for every single play. If he doesn't try to chase down the man streaking down the sideline, he's a first-round draft pick. To flip the other side of the, that, that's a huge platform to show NFL scouts, NFL GMs, NFL teams another instance of what he can do. This is very And if he true. doesn't hustle, they look back on that and say, why don't you hustle on X play? Just to be a contrarian. Eh, you're not wrong, though. But to be fair, though, no, no one's really a clear winner when it comes to the draft. You could draft the players that you want, but it's really what they produce on the field. So, you know, people say it looks good right now, but we don't know what they are in three months from now. Questions about every pick. Cam Newton, MVP. Plenty of questions about whether his game would translate to the NFL. No, th- more of those questions were about his, quote, character and his inability to lead and all that sort of stuff. Well, they ran some read option stuff at Auburn. They weren't sure. It was really before the option took over the NFL. They weren't exactly sure, even though he had the big arm. And you are right, though, in regards to the character, the incidents he had at Florida, the whole pay-for-play scandal at Auburn. But a lot of it was whether or not his game could translate. Look at him now. But, I mean, you could get a list of the drafts. I mean, look at the first – Pretty much five picks. It's been Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Joy Boston, Ezekiel Elliott, which I thought was a good pick. That's a reach. I mean, yeah, but to me, the way the Cowboys are structured right now, that he makes them become an explosive offense in the league by far, especially with Romo healthy and you have Des Bryant. But if Romo's not healthy, then what? Yeah. Not that I expected them to pick a quarterback in the first round. I just feel like they could have girded up their defense a bit. They, they, yeah, but they, they pretty much said to 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 the Cowboys' offense that you could pick him and you could make sure we're not on the field as much. But basically, they're gonna run the ball a lot with him so they could take the defense off the field. That's the plan, and that's how they've been successful. Remember when they were twelve and four, went to the NFC division round before they lost to the Packers. Um, pretty much, it was Murray running the ball. Make sure the defense was off the field. And they almost won that game, too. Look, I'm going to be completely honest, and I think we all understand that the draft hasn't even gotten cold. It's been less than 24 hours. But with that being said, are there any head-scratching picks or any great job picks just from right now that that you see? I, I, I got to go with the Cowboys. I know it was, it was high for getting a running back. But for this specific running back with this specific offense, I think it helps them in the long run, especially if Romo gets injured because they can rely on the running game with him, and, and I think it's better for the team. Honestly, Joey Bosa for San Diego seemed like a reach at first, but he fills a need. Dwight Freeney's not going to get any younger, so that's a good pick for them. It's also way too early. You really have to see all these players play before you can really Didn't establish. Didn't I just say but that? But if you're going to choose a winner, you got to like what Los Angeles did, moving into a new city, NFL and L.A.'s back, trading up for the number one overall pick, drafting a kid out of Cal. They're going for it. They're trying to make a splash. You have to admire what they did. In other words, St. Louis, you lucked out that you don't have to watch this team go 3-13 and 13 next season. He's an idiot. All right, that's what we got to say about that. You know, he's an idiot. Next question. That really wasn't a series. Okay, they just got washed. But with that being said... We only cared because there was so much going on off the court. Why would Mark Cuban, whose inferior team really had no chance 
fix his mouth to say that there's only one superstar on that team. Because it's all about trash talking. I mean, at this point, with the team that's constructed, they know they're not talented enough to be OKC, so they got to try to be in their heads, and they're not falling for it at all. Because Russell Westbrook has shown that he's mentally fragile? No. No, but it's just to, you know, be much more of a personal battle between me. Because that's been like that for the past five games with them. They, almost every game you see them, somebody get a technical foul or a flagrant foul on every on any possession, even at the end of games. I mean, you saw Durant get a flagrant two in this series. You saw Westbrook get a technical foul. I mean, they, they know that they're not talented enough to beat them. But, you know, they try to get some trash talking in there and, and, and try to, you know, because they won one game. They felt confident about it. That, I mean, that's the only way they could beat them. But Ogus, he's not going to fall for it. They were down 3-1 in the series. They might as well have tried something. I mean, they were getting destroyed on the offensive glass. Dallas was ravaged by injuries. I guess his only other option was to try to get in his head. But for someone especially, because Kevin Durant was insulted by it, for the Mavericks, who were always linked to big free agents like that, it's, it's very confounding why Mark Cuban would say something like that. And here's the thing. Both of those players will be up for free agency in the next two seasons. So they're pretty much both going to cross Dallas off the list. There's, oh, exactly, there's yeah. no point in going. And and honestly, I understand Mark Cuban. In, in some ways, I like Mark Cuban because he's afraid to say what no other owner has the courage to say. But that's the sort of thing that just looks amateurish to me. And it makes it look like you as an owner are worried more about what happens on the court than actually managing the talent to get the court product where it's supposed to be. It's almost like he thinks he's a player. Yeah, and to be honest, like like you said, they just scratch him off the list and everything. But, you know, Dallas got a lot of stuff to work with. You know, they, they got to have to go in the offseason and figure out how to make Derek Fisky's last year or two, make it, you know, at least a playoff team again. But they got to be better what they are right now. And OKC just got to move forward and be ready for his first series. If somebody calls Mark Cuban out about it early next year, I mean, Thunder Mavs has sort of been, I, I won't call it a rivalry series, but somebody always gets heated how far do you think this carries because i think even after this season's done no one's gonna forget about it especially if russell westbrook ever has a bad game they definitely have met in the playoffs before they've each when dallas won the title they knocked them out okc knocked dallas out of the playoffs this time and another time before i don't think it's gonna be that big of a deal you could really look at it like russell westbrook had issues with charlie villanueva breaking up his da- pre-game dancing charlie <laughs> villanueva might not even be in the nba next year yeah he's, so he's really, it, I, he's I don't a, really think it's a washed up over. player he's not gonna i don't think he's gonna be in the league next year so it, it's not an intense close rivalry I, I mean you could argue that dallas mavericks clippers was a bigger rivalry with the whole deandre jordan thing oh yeah that would have been so. more of a they'll rivalry. never mean they'll, they'll both meet on the golf course in a week yeah, Actually, in a matter of days. Yeah, but I'll be on vacation together for all we know. One, Same two, place. three, Cancun. And then in another life, DeAndre Jordan will get Mark Cuban a drink that has arsenic in it. Interesting. I'm not even talking to you, bro. Oh, yeah. And Russell Westbrook cussed out a fan on the road. Again, this series didn't mean much of anything. But I saw that. And first of all, I thought it was hilarious. Secondly, I think Russell was right. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, you got to act more professionally. I, I didn't think he should have done that. I know what the fans were saying, but you got to understand that it's a hostile environment. You just got to play your game. But my thing is this. As a fan, yes, you are paying, but this is their workplace. 
Would you like it if somebody walked into this studio right now and started berating us? Nah, I would probably I'd give them a few choice words myself. And I think the idea that the fan is so entitled to do whatever he or she feels like because I bought a ticket because of this, that, and the third, that's ludicrous to me. It doesn't make sense. You still have to be more professional. Like, you know you're on television. I, 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 yeah, you know. You you're in the you NBA. Know. You have seminars about dealing with fans. You, they have to be white noise. You can't – once you react to one fan, it's only inviting more criticism. I mean, I'm – sorry, I'm, I'm still going to stick up for, for, for Russell on this one. But I think that that leads to a broader question because we've seen it a couple times this year, the interaction between NBA players and fans. I, I usually don't say poor LeBron James in any respect – but they're especially the two female fans that really tried to talk mess, and they were both caught. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's funny. How do you think the NBA, better yet, should the NBA even address that? No. No. Because you have one of the owners, and Mark Cuban is probably best known for the way he talks to yeah. officials and things like that and heckles. Even if Drake is all clapping into your huddle as you're walking down the floor? You can't interact with them. It's a professional. You have to be a professional on the court. So whatever what they do, you just gotta focus on the game. So whatever happened to fan decorum then? Has it really ever existed? You always have hecklers. You always have. In I baseball, think, you have adults knocking kids away for foul balls. But I, mean, I think there's a. I think there's a market difference between being a heckler. Granted, the two LeBron James incidents were only funny because a they were caught on TV and b. They were just right there. But I'm talking about things like walking onto the floor and and just being outrageous. You mean like the little kid that tried to hug Carmelo Anthony? So that was only cute because it was a kid. Someone actually did get fired. fired for that, though. Oh, and they're supposed that. to get fired yeah, for that. Yeah, they got fired for that. They're I don't understand how that happens, that. but, yeah, they got fired yeah. for that. What, you thought, oh, it's cute, it's in the middle of the game, and it's already over. Let the kid run out and, and hug a, an NBA player. If it was an older person, they would have gotten tackled on the floor. Even in freaking Washington, Kobe's last game in Washington, fan tried to get close. Security, it was like WWE out there. <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's not that it's a huge problem. I just think it's something to, to, to look into because you don't have this problem for any other sport. Not for football. People run though. Just recently, the when Arietta threw a no hitter, a guy ran out on the field and celebrated with them. That, yeah. but he had to hop over the fence for that. Is what I'm saying. It's it's one thing. It's one thing thing for somebody to hop over a fence and violate a boundary. They're concrete in pretty much any other sport, but in basketball, to even with the the the, You're the court lines, on the court, there's really yes, no separation. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but in football, it's kind of rare. I mean, unless you you throw something in the bench or you say, talk to somebody when they're sitting on the bench, a quarterback or a player or whatever, that's kind of rare to see. And if they do show, it'll be because it's a star player or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think it's something that merits just a little bit of attention. Not much, but a little bit. Because there are you, – you, I don't think if you're Adam Silver, when you see stuff like that, yeah, it's fun, but you also have to worry about, let's say – Oh no, I don't no, I'm not going down this road. I was tempted to, but I'm not gonna go down that road because it ends up being a slippery slope of anything and everything. I just think it warrants being taken into consideration. Do you think it will happen more as the playoffs, you know, continue? As the playoffs, I mean security measures I think always go up for big events and stuff like that. These these events are few and far between though. It's not like every game you see 
you know, players cursing out at fans, fans running on the courts. They uh, heckled, but the the events that we're referring to don't happen often. Of course, and um, and, it's, and it's important to mention that. But I still think it's gonna it's gonna warrant some attention. The owners are definitely going to talk about it when the off season hits. It's a decent idea. In a, in a perfect world, you'd love the fans to be cordial and abide by all the rules. But it's a passionate game. You have passionate fans. Yeah. And come playoff time, it's just not going to happen. It won't happen. They won't allow it to happen. And no, and there's nothing wrong with being passionate. Again, I just think can't hinder free speech. Yeah. Hello, First Amendment. But. You may not be able to hinder free speech, but the consequences you have no say over. Well, I feel like if you do run out on the court, they do ban you from coming back. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing they do. See, if you run out on the court, you're not going to come back ever again to the arena. I don't arena, think you're going to so be allowed to do it again. I don't think you could do that again. I can see someone try to walk in with a fake mustache, a fake ID. It's a lot know. of effort to go through. You never know. If, but, fans, if the fans are as passionate slick. as you say, it could happen. But fans are kind of slick, so we'll see. Fans aren't as slick as they think. And you can also you never know. Ourselves included. You never know. Eh, yeah, well. This is Slam City on Dunk360.com. Like I said, we had guests today, and none other than the Minnesota Timberwolves forward, Shabazz Muhammad, joins us in the studio. Shabazz, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I, ga- I got to ask you one question now. Our producer, Jeremy, found this picture of your, of your soon-to-be new head coach, Tom Thibodeau. What are your thoughts so far on, on everything, fashion-wise, the hairstyle? We know it's from the 80s, but... Hey, I think the 80s is coming back now. You see everybody trying to wear and dress up like the 80s, but uh, I like, I'm feeling the mullet, so I, mean, <laughs> I don't think he can grow it anymore, but it's nice. <laughs> if he tries it, are y'all going to call him on it? Yeah, we're definitely. I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, if it looks good, we're gonna let it. We're gonna let it roll. If we're winning a couple games and rolling, we're gonna let it roll. So I mean, that's something that uh, we'll figure out. <laughs> How much do you know Tom Thibodeau as a coach? Because you know, you hear when he had success with the Bulls and and they went to the Eastern Conference Finals and the playoffs. Have you heard a lot about him as a coach when you you know in the league? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, he's with the Bulls and um, I don't remember. I don't think I was born those those days in Minnesota when he was there earlier. But um, like I said, when he's with the Bulls, I mean, um, you know, he had a great team and he got a lot of guys. Back better and um he's a tough coach and they win games and he's been in the playoffs almost every year i can pretty much pretty much imagine i've been i've been watching on tv and stuff like that so i mean um he's been he's been great and and like i said we were down there um, down there meeting with them so everything was good for us do you, do you think uh like defensively like you know this team you know scores a lot of points as a group and and i feel like with him including it it, it could make your defense a little bit more better you know he's he has a defensive identity as a team you think you guys will improve as a team like that definitely i mean that's something that we really need to work on that's something that he's talking about about us already um and uh offense has always been a big key for us i mean we have a lot of guys who can score on our team and we're very talented but um we got to really um push on the defensive end and stuff like that okay um, specifically, you know, you had Carlton Towns this year. What was it like playing with him and Wiggins and all those guys? Zach Levine, you know, he's done contest champion, but you know he's gonna be a good player as well. What's it like right. playing with all those guys? It's good. I mean, it just knows we got a load of talent and uh, we can do a lot of things. And uh, if we go out there and work hard and and uh, play together, we can do we can achieve a lot of things. And we're all really young, um, so I mean that's something that's a good thing for us. And uh, and looking at it throughout our careers. Do you guys feel like um, you guys are like maybe two or three away from being a contender? You feel like you're with coach right now. You think you're you're ready to be in the playoffs next year with the identity that you guys have? <clears throat> yeah, it's tough. I mean, you know, the West is a really tough uh, conference for us. But um, I think with our coach and uh, how how he plans to do stuff this summer, I mean, uh, I think we'll have a good chance of being a playoff team if not this year or next. Now, Zach Levine, 
One gotta be one of the best high flying guards in the league. Did you make the trip up to Toronto to see him in the dunk contest? No, I actually didn't. I mean, you know, this first his first one he won, I actually got to throw the oop and stuff like that. Um yeah. out in New York. But um I didn't get to go this time. I watched it on T V but uh I was happy happy it was really supporting him. When you see him, does is this the kind of stuff he does in practice too? He'll just like toss it off. What's the craziest dunk you've seen him pull off in practice? Craziest dunk. Um I mean, he always likes to go behind his back. I mean, he can do that behind the back reverse pretty sick. I mean, after practice, he'll usually do a couple dunks. So, I mean, uh, he seems like he's always never tired. So, I mean, his legs are always springing, and, uh, I mean, he's a great player. What what do you have to improve as a player? Because, you know, you had a solid season this year, yep. and you had a career high against the Warriors at 35 points. Uh, I remember that game, and you guys pretty much uh, ended the streak for them. But what do you have to do as a player to improve on next season? Yeah, I just think um, my overall game. I mean, obviously my defense has to has to get better. I mean, um, you know, uh, Coach Coach Tibbs is a really good uh, defensive coach and really defensive minded. So that's something that I really um, can take with my advantage and really improve on my game and just my overall scoring inside and out and definitely my three point shot can really cha uh, really get some work. So that's something that I'm gonna be working working on and uh, doing hard this summer. Have you got any advice from KG and you know veterans on the team on you know about the game and pretty much just like taking one day at a time improvement and all that? Definitely. I mean, KG has been a role model for all of us. I mean, uh, he's in the locker room every day talking to us. Um, even if it's not about basketball, it's about life and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, he's been great for us. And uh, just really being a court leader and uh, being a floor general out on the floor really helps us out and helps the young guys out for us. Shabazz Muhammad joining us on SlamCityDunk360.com. Now, let's go back a little bit to your collegiate days. I mean, you played on a pretty good team at UCLA. Just what was your take of the college game at the time? Do you see any real differences between when you played, even though it was a couple years ago, and now? Yeah, I think it's getting a little faster. I mean, uh, you notice in college, I mean, um, they don't, I mean, uh, it, the game is, is really evolving into a fast pitch game. Even the NBA now is, is moving to a fast, more of a uh, three point shot type of game. And, um, so I mean a lot of I mean the final four was great. I mean we saw a lot of teams running and gunning in that last game with North Carolina Villanova was great too. So I mean um I always gotta watch college and it's always fun doing it. Did you see any market difference from the moment you were drafted to your first NBA practice? What was the first thing you noticed in that new practice? Yeah, I mean it was much more intense. I mean, um even in college is really intense and uh all the guys in the NBA are really good. I mean they wouldn't have that uh, jersey on for no reason. So, I mean, uh, you always got to go out and play as hard as you can every, every every time you get on the step on the floor. There were so many teams that tried to get at the Golden State Warriors this year, and look who stepped up when his team needed him. Career-high 35 points against the Warriors. Going into that game, what felt different for you, or did it all feel the same? Yeah, I mean, it felt the same. I mean, um, I thought I had a really good uh, shoot-around. We always usually shoot shoot around before our game and um, early in the morning and um, just got my rest and stuff like that. I mean, but I felt good and uh, just thought um, my three-point shot was on, and I think when that's on, I mean, I can drive to the basket pretty well and get to the line, so all those things really helped me um, really have a successful game. You know, it's a funny story. Um, that same day, your PR hit me up saying, we do an interview with you and all that. <laughs> then... You just scored thirty five points out of nowhere. I'm just Are like, you okay. trying to take credit right now? No, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, I, I felt like it was it was a blessing for us. Like, oh, let's let's interview him now because <laughs> first of all, you, it, we had a solid career anyway in college, and then now you did this to the Warriors. I feel like this potential for this war, the Timberwolves team where everybody talks about. But it, I mean, you know, from this season and the next season, I feel like you guys are going to be up there contending with them because of your young core. You agree with that? 
Definitely agree with that. I mean, that's the thing we have locked in. I mean, myself, Carl, Andrew, and um, Zach, and all of us, that's the thing we have to have next year going into camp that um, they even though we're a young team, we can still compete with a lot of these really good teams. Because you look at it, a lot of the teams we played this season, I mean, we were right right there to beat them. And, yeah. um, you know, Golden State we got and a couple other teams. I mean, um, so – it's been it's been a, it was a great season for us to learn and, and next season we gotta take it over and we gotta start really winning some games. Now you know going off the court you know you, you're pretty much a fashion guy you know you know like you and Russell Westbrook Carmelo you know all these guys in fashion specifically what's what's different from those guys in your fashion? Yeah, but you know you like Russell Russell has a really um he's really high pitched in his I mean just some of the stuff he wears and some of the pieces he wears people are like oh my god that's crazy but <laughs> I mean uh, he he's really good with his stuff and you know he has his own line so I mean uh, he's really doing his thing in the fashion fashion game so I mean that's something that is really good and so I mean uh, he's 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 good in the fashion game you know Melo's pretty good too I mean yeah. they they know their stuff so I mean that's that's something that I like to do when I'm not playing ball. What do you specifically like focus on when it comes to fashion? Yeah, um, I mean, I just like shopping. I mean, I've been out here. I've been shopping a lot. I mean, just like different designers like Saint Laurent and stuff like that. It's just nice stuff. And uh, the good thing about the NBA is you can actually wear that stuff because I mean, um, before the games, you get to go out and have press conferences and stuff, so you can look nice and fashionable. Is there any like specific like jeans or you know the brand that you wear or shoes yeah. of anything? Um, I would say I mean like uh, Saint Laurent is one of my favorite. I mean uh, they have a lot of lot of um, companies out there. Fear of God is one that's really good. I mean, um, so there's a lot of Balmain. So I mean uh, Balmain. I mean sorry, but so I mean it's a lot of lot of um, lot of fashion fashionable trends out there. Okay. Your sure. favorite sneaker. Favorite sneaker, I would say probably. I've been wearing a lot. I mean, I'm sponsored by Adidas, so I've been wearing the Yeezys a lot. I mean, they're really comfortable. You can just throw them on anytime. You can wear them out, dress them down. So, I mean, I like those shoes. But um, I'm a boot type of guy, too. I like like different kind of boots to wear with my jeans and stuff like that and look nice. So, I mean. Uh, like Timberlands type of no, boots? No, no, I'm talking about like St. Laurent boots mm-hmm. or Bottega boots. So, something like that. So, I mean, that's something that I really like to wear. I mean, it's New York. I, I have to ask that question. It's obligatory. Right. <laughs> no, nah, I, I have some Tims, though. They're in the closet. I mean, you know I'm in Minnesota, so you know it snows a lot. Ugh. Yeah. Right. How do you deal with that? Because you grew up in Las Vegas, right. and then all of a sudden you get drafted by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, going to Vegas and uh, it's, it's hot as heck, and then coming here, I mean, it's the complete opposite coming to Minnesota. So, I mean, uh, I'm always in the house, though, either watching TV, playing video games. So, I mean, it really, I really don't mind it. A lot of 2K? A lot of 2 I mean, not a lot. Of, <laughs> not, as, I'm not as much. I've been, I've been trying to get back on it, you know. But uh, more on, like, Call of Duty and stuff like that. I'm a, I'm a Call of Duty guy, so. Who's the best video game player on the entire squad? It's crazy because a lot, a lot of our guys, I mean, uh, when we're on the road, like, we're so young, so we all play video games. Like, we'll, like Zach. <laughs> Um, Zach plays a lot of video games. Uh, Andrew plays a lot of video games. Carl does. So I mean, uh, we're all playing and compete. We mostly play Call of Duty. Um, so I mean, that's that's one game that we like. And Division was a, is a pretty good game yeah, that just game. just got out. So I mean, a lot of a lot of us been playing that. Tell me, KG's played one game, <laughs> just one. Like I really, really want to know. KG didn't play one game, but I mean, um, he he has a, he has a, like a gamer tag, so he actually gets on. But I mean, uh, he gets on rarely. So when he, when your KG gets on, you gotta make sure you get on and catch KG because it, it's a rare rare appearance. Well, how does it feel like? I know you you played two K before, but how does it feel when you played KG in the game and even back then in two K games, and then you're with him right now? How, how is that like? Is it surreal feeling? Yeah, you, it's it's crazy. Think? I mean, uh, it's just crazy to see how humble he is. I mean, uh, just to be able to talk, just to be able to talk to us and uh, get a chance to talk to him. I mean, I'm in the league and and uh, and he's an all star, gonna be a Hall of Famer. You know, he's in, he's one of the best players to play. And um, 
So that's something that he really helps us out. And the good thing is we always listen and take his advice. And um, like I said, I'm grateful to have a guy like that on my team. Now looking, going back to basketball for a second, mm-hmm. I know people like to really define the position, you know, point guard, shooting guard, small forward. You've pretty much played all over. What are some significant differences you see between like a shooting guard and a small forward? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's weird. This, this season I played two, three, and I played some four also. I mean, um, but um, I say with the two and three, I mean, it's more, I mean, I think, I think the two brings the ball up more, um, handles the ball more. I think the three gets out more on the break. But, I mean, um, they're very interchangeable positions. So, I mean, um, that's something that the coach can decide, and you can basically do either or. But, like I said, if it's shooting guard, I think you, you handle the ball a little bit more than the small four. Are you comfortable there? or Like, where – at, where do you feel most at home on the floor? Yeah, I feel most at home at the small forward, but, I mean, um, that's the one thing I'm really trying to do this summer is really get my ball handling much tighter so I can be a shooting guard because, I mean, I'm 6'6", six, six, so I can use my body, and playing a lot of shooting guards are really really smaller than me. So, I mean, uh, that's something that I'm trying to trying to take in my advantage. What are, what are you doing currently right now? I know it's the offseason. Um, you're looking at the NBA playoffs by any chance? Have you been up to date on what's happening in the playoffs? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, I've been watching the playoffs. I mean, that's, that's the main thing. I mean, um, you know, you always wish you could be playing the playoffs. So yeah. um, that's something that I've been watching. Uh, it's been cool. Who you got taking the title? Be honest. Oh, boy. It's tough right now because um, I think the Spurs are going to win it. I mean, um, I think I think Golden State's struggling with the injuries. But um, hopefully those guys get back. And, um, I mean, OKC is, is doing a really good job, too. So, I mean, that, that series is going to be uh, one to really watch. You have the Cavs going into the finals again, or you think someone's going to upset them in the Eastern Conference? No, nah, I got the Cavs. I mean, um, the Hawks have been playing really well, though. But um, I got the Cavs, I think, and um, I think they're going to they're gonna play uh, the Spurs or either the Spurs or OKC, but I, I think it'll be the Spurs. So. Speaking of Atlanta, we do have Dominique Wilkins coming on later in the day. If you had a question for him, we will, sh- we will show it yeah, for him. Will. What would you like to ask him? Um, ask Dominique. Um... What do you do to, to help his vertical increase? I just wanted to know because you know Dominique, you know he was dunking the ball so hard and yeah. So I mean that's something that uh that is nice and, and the crazy thing is is uh, on the NBA channel you used to always have the hardwood classics. So I mean I, I I used to watch that all the time. So I would know I'm familiar with Dominique and all those old guys. So I mean that's something that uh that I like and it's history to our game. Shabazz Muhammad from the Minnesota Timberwolves, Slam City, Dunk360.com. Thank you so much for joining yeah, us thank today. You, man. Okay, uh, this is why we don't hire any females unless we need uh, unless we need our sucked or our food cooked. Well, that's just an awkward thing to say, you know, from a good guy saying from a bad person on Twitter about women in sports. I mean, don't go out. You know, women in sports, it, it's it's a good thing for them, but it's also good for the public because you know, a different insight besides of men on, on basketball, baseball, football, you name it. But people that say that on the internet or just a disgrace to the public listen twitter thugs i mean that's what they are they're twitter thugs because half of the half of the numbskulls i'm I'm really trying to center myself because we're trying to be halfway family friendly but i just i feel a certain type of way about people who wouldn't have who wouldn't have the guts to walk up in somebody's face and say this sort of stuff but you can say it behind a computer screen because it's the easiest because you because you're, you're protected like, you're such a wimp. You're a loser. Like, these women, first of all, they obviously know more about sports than you. That's yeah. why they're there. These women are better at what they do than you ever will be. That's why they're there. 
These women have interviewed more athletes than you'd ever hope to meet. That's why they're there. And that's why you're behind your laptop crying about how woe is you. The world doesn't like you because a woman is covering a sport that you feel like you should cover because you're a man. Grow up. It's sexist. It's misogynistic. And sports is all about inclusion. It's all about bringing different groups of people together. So being like that is completely the opposite of what sports are meant to be. And it's something that 100% should not be said, regardless of any setting. And most of these women, they play, play sports before when they were young. You know, they know how to, you know, the game. If it comes to basketball, they know how to play. When it comes to baseball or fo- football, some of them actually play football in, in their own league. But yeah. I'm saying, like, they know what they're talking about. And it's just a disgrace to those men that said that. And more importantly, it's just sad in general. Like, either they're just jealous or they just don't know what, they don't know what to do. And frankly, and sh- shout out to Just Not Sports, their, their YouTube page. They got together and put Sarah Spain and Julie DeCaro together to – Really, it's really a powerful message that they put together. So shout out to them. That's where the clip was from. But with that all being said, it, it really allows us to re-examine the way we view women in sports. Like, period. First of all, and a guy would you would assume that any man who sits in front of a microphone, you would assume that he's played a sport before. And in some cases that's true. In fact, in many cases that's true. But you don't have to play a sport to know about it. Yeah. I Michelle mean, Roberts is the head of the NBA Players Association, Becky Hammond in San Antonio, Nancy Lieberman, a ton of qualified women, a ton of women who probably know who have forgotten more about sports than most men will ever know. And it's something that just should not be said, that women don't belong. But more importantly, they put the hard work in. You know, they put the work in every day, you know, seven days a week, especially when you're covering a game or you're coaching them or anything. They put the work in there, and that's what's more important. And then you see all these men doing that. It's just it's just sad. But I think the, the more striking thing, and I think the, that was the real point of – no, the, I don't think that was the real point of the video. I think what they sort of brought up is, wow – when you read back, when these random men read back what it is that was actually said, even they're appalled. Like a few of them, in fact, many of them apologize saying, I'm so sorry. I didn't write this. This is insane. Because what? there's no real way to respond to that, is there? No. I mean, it's just, just shocking and... You can't rationally respond to an irrational comment. See, that that's you putting a very logical face on it. Me, I'm just I'm I shake my head because if you're if you're a computer troll, I urge you find God, find something, find anything. I think you have I think you can do more with your life than this. Because this this isn't even a them this isn't even a this isn't even a sexist problem anymore in terms of just targeting women. What I mean to say by that is, ooh, that could be taken way out of context. So I'm going to mark it and come back to it. Three, two, one. I think for, the, for, the, for those computer trolls or anyone who feels like they can just say whatever they want behind a computer screen, I think they need to take a really stiff look in the mirror. Yeah, you, they are going to have to really reconcile themselves with their views of pretty much anything in this life, especially when it comes to the place of women in society, much less sports. But they also need to examine w- what's going on with them. Yeah, you know stuck, what I mean? Like, they're like, stuck in a different time. It's the 21st century. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not willing to give them that pass because these aren't like 80 or 70-year-olds, which, which might even be unfair to them. It's not, it's not like we're talking about 
old quote older people or senior citizens that are sending these tweets. These are 20, 30, 40 year old guys. It ain't about timing anymore. It's willful ignorance. It really is. And I just hope those people that tweeted that out and I hope they get pretty much crucified by those that looked at it. They're saying it to elicit a reaction and it's inappropriate and un- uncalled for that those thoughts are even put out on the internet. And it's t- it really shows what a woman has to go through to be involved in the sports media field. But, you know, that's pretty much in general for all journalists. They get critical about everything. But, you know, especially for a woman, it's just it's, it's wrong and it's sad. To the ladies in the field, God bless you. Because let's face it, we need you. <laughs> Slam City here on Dunk360.com alongside a living legend, the one and only human highlight film, Dominique Wilkins here in studio today. And honestly, the only reason we even have a chance to bring you in to studio today, Dominique, is because you're in town for a great cause, and I know it affects a lot of families around the U.S. Speaking personally, my grandmother deals with it, and I know that that's something that you developed a little bit after your playing career. You could talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, uh, diabetes is something that runs in my family. My father and grandfather both died from diabetes, and out of eight brothers and sisters, I'm the only one with diabetes. But I found I was a diabetic a year after I retired, and so I decided at that point that I wasn't going to let diabetes do to me what it did to my father and grandfather, that I was going to manage it, and I was going to educate myself and do the best that I could to stay healthy. And I lost 32, 34 pounds in two and a half months just changing my diet getting on medication, and exercising. It's that simple. And I've been given a kind of a, a great platform to talk about diabetes with Novo Nordisk Pharmaceuticals is to help educate people on diabetes through three things, diet, exercise, and medication. So we've come up with this website called the Diabetes Dream Team website. And what that website is to give people healthy options but it also gives them a chance to build their own dream team. And what the dream team is, is people who uh, that you're close to to help hold you accountable for managing your disease. How do you work with the families of those affected? Well, I, I do a lot of uh, patient, uh, patient doctor uh, speeches where I kind of help bridge relationship between the doctor and the patient. And just give them, again, uh, some of the things that I've, been through to manage my disease and you know when oral medication wasn't getting me to my co- my goal I had to go with more tr- uh, I would say traditional measures and to manage my disease so I start taking a non-insulin injection which has been great for me it really helped me balance my my sugar levels out but more importantly keeps me healthy and it, again it's that whole educational side that we don't have as a whole um, and so what I do, I go to these different cities, like here in New York, going to a big convention center tomorrow, where we're going to have probably about 3,000 to 8,000 people come out. To, yes. And so we're going to do a big, big function there where people come out. I can tell them a life story and things that I've done and let them ask questions. And so I can help them manage their diabetes or people in their family manage their diabetes. Now, I know it doesn't happen often, but sometimes you do encounter the professional athlete that has to deal with playing while being diabetic. How much differently would that person have to sort of operate his lifestyle versus some of his other peers? Well, when you're, when you're an athlete, and no matter what level of athlete you are, if you're a diabetic, and sometimes you don't even know you're diabetic because diabetes is very hard to detect when you're in great shape because you're constantly burning off the calories, burning off the sugar, so you don't feel it. And people ask me all the time, would I 
or could I have played longer if I knew I was diabetic? And the answer is no, because you're in such great shape. You didn't, you didn't see it. You didn't feel it. it w- it's not until life slows down and you stop exercising, but you're still eating the same food where you find out you have the same problem that everybody else in this country has who's dealing with diabetes and it's family history as well. And looking into your career on the court, I mean, much of it, <laughs> really, we don't even go, need to go into much detail. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you said in the New York Post about Carmelo Anthony. And, and it's something that a lot of fans really agree with, with him being a superstar. How did you personally, when you weren't on a team that wasn't so great when it was surrounded around you, how did you sort of weather Well, that? you got to become a, more of a leader. You, you, that's when your, your leadership role really has to step up because you got to get them guys who are struggling with their game, struggling with their confidence. That's when being the best player on that team, you got to get those guys to rally around you and believe in what you're trying to push and trying to teach them. So, again, that, that leadership role in certain teams is more prevalent than others. And he has to do, especially in this city, he really has to do that. I mean, I feel for I've been in the same situation, you know, where, you know, you got some players, but you need a little bit more help. And he definitely needs a little more help. But until that time come, he has to really step his leadership role up. And I think he will eventually do that because he's getting to points in his career where you're not getting any younger. So you got to do it now. And so, but they definitely need to get him a few more players to <laughs> help with. There's no question. I think. You know, what people, uh, you know, when, when they look at that, what I said, and they may kind of look at it a, a little differently. Because when you talk about leadership role, what you're saying is that you're giving a guy the confidence that you are our leader. You can do more if you want. It's up to you. You think you think this year what he did, you know, pretty much with the forecast that he has, that it was probably one of his best career years statistically, that it's a step up into him being a leader for the team? Well, you know what I think. Uh, uh, you know, it's a combination of things that you have to do when you're when you're an elite player. When I was in Atlanta, you know, I didn't have the super superstar players, but I had some very good players, and we won a lot of games. You know, we came short of getting to the Eastern Conference Finals or a championship several times. But at the same time, teams knew when they played against us, they had to bring their hard hat because we was going we was going to war with them. And so if I look back on my career, I don't have any regrets. And I think that's the thing that he has to look at when it's all said and done. Do I have any regrets at the end of the day? What do you think of the overall current level of play in the NBA? I just think guys in our era, I mean, of course, they were hungrier. I mean, the salaries wasn't what it is now. And it was fewer teams. And it was just a competitive, passionate game back then. I mean, if you didn't come to play every night, you got embarrassed, period. I mean, there's games where guys, you would, you would come to the game, you wasn't really into the game. Well, by halftime, you knew you were in a game because guys made you look bad out there on the floor. They, they took it to you. And so you had to be prepared to play each and every night. It was so competitive. Guys were so physical, big, skilled players. Do you think the weak play is caused by a lack of fundamentals or should – Young players, should they stay an extra year in college? Well, I think the, I think the year in college gives guys a little s- more seasoning. Um, you know, if a guy is ready, you're ready. If you're a LeBron James type of kid come out of school, <laughs> hey, look, those type of g- kids always will prevail. But it's not a lot of those kind of kids around. <laughs> so, you know, I think a lot of guys need a little bit more seasoning than others. You, 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 you see the guys who came out a little early. They should have stayed in a year or two. You think – 
players today, you know, with the whole three-point shooting and spread out, you think, and, and pretty much the rules is just favoring the offensive players more than defense, you think that's more of, like, the league getting soft because of that? Or is this more of, you know, there's no physicality like it used to be in the 90s? There'll never be that kind of physicality ever again. You know, not unless the rules go back to the way we play. <laughs> you know, it would never be that kind of physicality. Um, a guy, the thing you understand, our bodies was conditioned to take that type of punishment every night. You know, that's why you didn't see some of the injuries then that you see now. I mean, we were conditioned to take the punishment. Uh, and again, it made you, as an individual, it made you see what really your game was all about. When that physical pressure is on you and people could touch you, they could hit you a little bit, that lets you know what kind of skill you have if you can get through that type of physical play. It shows you what type of player you were, and it, sh and it measures your greatness with other great players. We're talking to Dominique Wilkins here on Slam City, dunk360.com. And you were talking with Jeremy, our producer, before <laughs> – you know, when we were getting things set up, that you feel like many people in the media don't really respect the opinions of those who came before and who played longer. Well, I think they look at it the wrong way. I think, think they look at it as uh, old guys hating, yeah, they, they're jealous, and uh, whatever the case may be, and it's not that. I think when we have an opinion, they quickly to discredit it because they think we're trying to discredit these young guys. We're not. They're great players today. These are great players. I mean, we're not taking anything from them. But don't discredit who we are either. And that's that's all that's about. Do you think kids now are working on their three-point game more and that's why it's so prevalent in today's NBA? Well, you know, I, I just think, you know, with the changing, the rule changing and um, the way the game is played, it's more hybrid players than Guys who play, if you're a small forward, you're a small forward. If you're a power forward, you're a power forward. Guys play multiple positions because of the physical play. It's not what it was. So you can play multiple positions now. Speaking of hybrid players, the team that you still represent as a vice president for, the Atlanta Hawks, they took a big series against Boston just yesterday. How do you think that team sort of found its identity off of that 60-win season last year? Well, uh, again, these guys are – our guys uh, love playing with one another. Uh, they have great chemistry. Coach has put a system in place where they, they really abide by. They, they, they really run that system, and guys accepted it. But I think losing last year in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference Finals really taught us something, that if, if, we, if we play our game and we're healthy, that we can play with anybody. So, uh, I, you know, I give us a good chance in this series as well as anybody else. So it, it, the thing is about the playoffs, you take them one game at a time, not look too far ahead. What, what do you think they have to do against the Cowboys? Because last year, you know, those injuries that really slowed them down, and then this year now they're healthier and, and they got their identity back to beat the Celtics. What they got to do? I just think more on? consistency on offense. That's, that's the key to our team. I, I don't worry about defense with our team. We play defense. I just think uh, this consistency on the offensive end is going to be the difference. What do they got to do guard LeBron James? Though? You know what? LeBron going to get his. You just can't let the supporting cast get theirs too. You know, so the great players are going to always find a way to get theirs that you have to slow everybody else down. Now, we had Shabazz Muhammad here earlier today, and one thing he asked us to, to ask you, which you could tell everybody else, what were some things that you did to get your vertical to the point where you had it? Well, I think my mom prayed a lot before I was born. <laughs> just a God-given talent. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so that basically that's what it was. But I did things to really strengthen my legs. You know, I did leg extension and I ran. I ran track in high school too. I hold my high school rec- record at a quarter mile. So I was a quarter mileist, high jump, triple jump. So track gave me the, more endurance for basketball. And I was, I mean, I was a really really fast player in high school. So when you talked about you know being a track athlete when you were in high school. You don't see too much of that nowadays. Do you think it's time for people to kill all the specialization talk with their kid playing one sport all year round? I think kids should play multiple sports. I really do. I've played multiple sports. I played baseball. I played football until I got hit one time and I took my players off on the field because I, I remember waking up. So I quit football. <laughs> but track was my favorite. I love track and field. I was, the, I was the anchor on the mile relay team. And I think when you're in track and field, especially when you're a sprinter, I mean, it does so much for your basketball game. It really does. It helps you with that endurance. What you, to, you're speaking on your vertical leap, what, what did you think of the dunk contest does today? Because it was great. Know. This year they brought it back. It was missing up to this point. To did this Aaron point. Gordon? Did Aaron Gordon win or did Zach Levine win? What do you think? If I had to go on the line, I I probably say Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but both of those guys put on a, an an amazing show. I was really proud of both of those guys and what they did. Where will you put that in terms of, because, you know, you've been it's with the legendary. It's in the top three. Top three? Top three, Well, he's wow. number one. You enjoy I mean, it? is that a trick question? And you won, didn't you? Be real. You won you that dunk contest, didn't you? Probably. But you know what the thing was, the most important? The fans got what they paid for. That's the biggest thing. They got what they paid for in that dunk contest. And then we had no props. We didn't miss dunks. And it just used our cre- – we did dunks that we did in the game. So it was – you know, it's nothing Michael or I worked on. It's, it's it just all spontaneous. Before we let you go, can you let us know a little bit more about tomorrow's event and how people could get involved and raise awareness for diabetes? Again, uh, you know, come to the clinic. We have them tomorrow. And two is that uh, we oftentimes push that people go to our website, the thediabetesdreamteam.com. That's a great website for great information. If you can't make it, go to that website. Enough said. Once again, Dominique Wilkins, Hall of Famer, and quite frankly, one of the better interviews I've ever had in my career. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, bro. Okay, so we're about to bring the debut to a close, but let's look at the week ahead. And quite frankly, it's all about the NBA playoffs next week. But the draft is going to be fun. We're going to see what round do you think – Jalen Smith and Miles Jack, pick a round for each of them. It's almost impossible to determine. Yeah. Teams, some teams have dropped both those guys completely off the boards based on knee injuries. I would say third, fourth, possibly. I got a high ceiling Fifth? on them. I think Miles Jack's a top ten talent. They're gonna Someone's going to scoop him up, but they'll be worried about the knee, so they'll wait till the later rounds. That's yeah. what I think will happen. Yeah. And then finally, the NBA playoffs. Honestly, yes. I think the first round is still too long, but look, we got a bunch of really good matchups, and the one that's going to be fun, or at least halfway fun to me, it's going to end up being the Spurs and the Thunder. I pick OKC in seven. Uh, San Antonio. I, I, San I, Antonio. I believe OKC is going to win on the road in the seventh game. I don't think OKC. San Antonio's lost once at home all year. I think OKC is going to prove that people wrong, that they're going to be good and they're going to beat them and they're going to go to the Western Conference Finals, face the Warriors. 
honestly, the Warriors, they, I, I count on them finishing it against the Blazers. But I also think that the Blazers are going to give them a fight. I think that's going to go six games. Yeah, the Clippers could still possibly win. I think Warriors can <laughs> go five games. You're a funny guy. I think Warriors can go five games. I believe that they got to prove everybody wants to get my great team. They're going to beat the Blazers in five. Damian Lillard playing in Oakland in front of family and friends. He's due for a big game. He's going to go off. Due for a big game, but I think the Warriors are going to pull enough. off. It's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough, though. They're going to pull off. Then in the East, you have the Cavs and the Hawks, which Dominique talked about earlier. And then whoever else comes out of the East is going to be an interesting series. But ultimately, I feel like the general consensus among us and most NBA fans is that the champions are going to come out of the Western Conference. And more importantly, at least as far as the East is concerned, even as far as this coast is concerned, the Cavs are going to walk to the finals. Most we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't say that, but you never know. Anything can happen. Anything can happen indeed. But wow, fellas, what a great first episode, huh? We, it took a lot for us to get here, but we managed to pull it off. Special thanks, special thanks to our two guests today, Shabazz Muhammad and NBA legend Dominique Wilkins. You can follow us on Twitter at the Dunk360 for the whole side account. Moraness10 for Ray. Jeremy Epps N underscore A-S-O-N-Y-E. Because if I say it outright, you're not gonna know what to say. I, I know what it is by now. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Slam City. See you next week. Oh,